This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is In the Workplace on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here are Professor Peter Capelli and Dan O'Mara. Hey, folks, welcome back. You're in the workplace. I'm Peter Capelli, professor of management here at the Wharton School. Dan O'Mara is out again this week at the spa. With us is the fabulous Greg Shea again, professor of management, longtime E here at the Wharton School. Hello. Hi. Hi. He speaks. Greetings. And everything, which is we set a low bar for co hosts. That's right. uh, And speaking is is part of it. Yes, that's right. We have a great show, as usual, lined up for you today. We're going to talk first about unemployment for young people. And it's great to have back with us Matt Siegelman, who's the CEO of Burning Glass Technology. They've done a new report about this. Matt, how are you doing? Very good, Peter and Greg. Great to talk to you again. And uh, Matt, tell people just a little bit about what Burning Glass does, because you guys do interesting things and they probably don't know. So we like to say that we we map the genome of the job market, which sounds highfalutin. Mm -hmm. Um, But what it essentially means is that we are trying to understand how the job market is changing by actually looking at millions of of job postings a day and hundreds of millions of people's resumes and and online profiles and, and mapping it back to the skills and credentials that move the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we understand what's in demand, what's not, um, how are jobs coming to be redefined, and what are the skills it takes to get a job, and what are the credentials it takes to get a job increasingly mm-hmm. in the market. Uh, so uh, this is, of course, refreshing for folks who are used to listening to pundits talk about things like what do employers want. Uh, you guys are actually looking where they're putting their money, right? Here's what the job requ- jobs are posting. They're looking for this. Here's what it says. Yeah, Exactly. Um, and it's interesting because any given um, job posting that's out there um, has a pretty good likelihood of being kind of defective in some way or another. Um, but uh, it's also one of these places where the wisdom of the crowd speaks when you put enough jobs in the blender. Right. Um, it, it, uh, it is actually quite revealing about what's going on in the market mm-hmm. and, and, importantly, about what's changing in the market. Mm-hmm. So we want to get into your study for in just a second here, but while we got you on the line, uh, how does the job market look overall to you? Because when you go to cocktail parties, I'm sure people ask you that question. I mean, what's your feel of how things look right now watching job ads? Um, I think it depends on who you are. Okay. Um, you know, obviously, you can look at, at the macro data and, and the job market's white hot. Um, and, you know, it's easy to come away with the impression that, you know, if you can fog a mirror, you can get a job. Right. Um, but what kind of job and, and who are you? And, mm-hmm. and we find that um, there's uh, substantial um, uh, up-credentialing going on, essentially degree inflation, where employers are asking for degrees for jobs that never required one. Really? Still um, going on? Really? Uh, yeah, actually, it's wow. interesting. Huh. Um, what we've seen, there's been some interesting um, academic research using our data to, to look at this phenomenon. And, and certainly, as you can imagine, um, it uh, a lot of the escalation in degree inflation happened um, as there was high unemployment, as that's reversed. Some of it's come down, but a lot of it's stuck. Um, hmm. Most employers aren't particularly analytical about what they're asking for. And so mm-hmm. um, looking at job postings is kind of like an archaeological dig. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a sediment in there that just sticks. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's surprising, right? Because if a labor market is tight and you're an employer, one of the things that you could do is you could try to raise your wages, right, which obviously helps. Uh, as we've talked about before on this show, that's not happening much. 
The other thing you could do is you could just start being less picky, and we thought there was evidence of that. If you look at, like, uh, policies on drug tests and stuff like that, some employers are backing off of that. Um, but they're not lowering their job requirements yet, and, you know, prior research on the labor market suggests that that happens, that employers in tight labor markets get less picky and start not to require so much. But but your sense is we're not really seeing that yet. Um, well, a, a little bit, uh, just to add a layer of nuance onto that, but we're, like I said, we're, we're seeing some of those, um, some employers back down a bit, but not nearly as quickly as they um, stepped up their requirements. Yeah. So, um, huh. You know, we we uh, in, in fact, I think just uh, last week provided a bunch of data to the Wall Street Journal, um, documenting how um, employers are in fact now starting to be a little bit less picky about things like criminal background checks, yep. about the amount of experience they're asking for, um, about their willingness to consider people with no experience, um, and also um, to consider people with uh, without degrees. Um, but um, that the level of change in or the, the level at which they're lowering the bar is is a lot. They're uh, well, put a different way, they're a lot slower to lower the bar than they were to raise it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think that's um, uh, that continues to challenge some people from getting jobs. Sure. And you know the issue we've talked about before is every employer says they want somebody with five years experience, and nobody wants to give them the initial five years experience. Right. That's the dilemma for college graduates. And before you get into what you found, let me just preface it with an interesting statistic. Uh, Greg will will ask you to guess here. What do you think the unemployment rate is for new college graduates in the U.S.? 23%. No. That's why we... Asked me, because you knew I'd get it wrong, yeah, we, which would give you a chance yes, to, to say, explain how and, wrong I am. Yes, you're okay, really, really wrong. It, it is uh, 5.3%. And the Within o- what period of graduate? What time from graduation? Um, oh, that's a good question. I think within a year or so. I think within a year. And Matt may know the answer to that. But the overall unemployment rate is below 4%. Right. And if you look at the unemployment rate for college graduates, it's even lower than that. You know, it's half that or something. So young people are still struggling uh, to make the leap into the job market. So, Matt, tell us a little about the study that, that you folks did and what you were First of all, what you're trying to do and what you find. So um, I, I want to go back to the question you just asked, Greg, because um, yeah, there's please. two levels at which I would answer that question. One is at a technical level, who's drawn a paycheck um, six or months or a year out. Okay. Um, and 5.3% may be higher than we'd like, but it's a whole lot lower um, than the percentage of graduates who are still struggling to find meaningful work. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, we looked at, uh, we wanted to look at this phenomenon of underemployment, and that's, um, you know, the, the problem of people graduating into jobs that don't actually require their college degree. Right. Um, you've spent a lot of money to, to, uh, to acquire that degree, and you're doing work that you didn't need it mm-hmm. to, to get, um, not a recipe for a high ROI on your education. Um, what we found is that even in this white-hot labor market, more than four in ten graduates are underemployed. Mm-hmm. Um, we found, perhaps even more disturbingly, that most never make it out. Yeah, that's the big story, right? Um, is never this, make it out of being, being underemployed. Under, uh, being underemployed. underemployed. Yeah. yeah. You know, those who are, if you're underemployed in your first job, you are five times more likely to be underemployed five years later, and and seventy-five percent of people in that category are still underemployed after a decade. Yeah, that's really the stunning thing, right? Um, the idea that an entry-level person would be overqualified in terms of overeducated for their job is probably not too surprising, and that's 
been pretty well documented around the industrial world. But, Greg, here's a second question for you to redeem mm. yourself. <laughs> if you look at industrial countries, there's only one industrial country where this is not the case, and that is on average people are overqualified uh, for their job. There's one country where they are not. Ding, 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 ding. Is it in Northern ding, Europe? Ding. Uh, it is not. Okay, I'm not going to get it. Uh, it is Italy. Really? Yeah, I was surprised by that. Italy is the only country where uh, job requirements seem on average to be higher than the amount of education that people have. Yeah, so very puzzling. That must um, – excuse me for a moment here, Matt. Uh, that must be – I would suspect that's due to the incredibly slow rate of growth of their economy. I don't know. I don't know that I know what the yeah. answer is. Uh, they well, de- trust me on this. Okay. We'll go with that, Greg. <laughs> Greg, the psychologist. We'll go with this on economic data. We'll go with him. Uh, Matt, back to you now, uh, more serious part of the conversation here. Um, so tell us about what um, a little more about what you found and how did you do this? I mean, how did you find this uh, particular um, set of evidence? What did you do? So, so what we, uh, we looked at is, um, is actually people's career histories. Okay. Um, so, you know, we collect um, hundreds of millions of resumes and, and online profiles a year. Um, and so we looked at, um, uh, a, you know, a, a nice big subset of, of several million of them and, and said, let's look at what happens to people when they graduate and, and um, what happens to them some years later based on what they step into. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how we were able to observe um, not just what the rate of underemployment is um, among recent graduates, but then how we were able to track mm-hmm. what becomes of them over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just for listeners, in case you wanted to play this game at home, there's something that the U.S. Department of Labor produces with your tax dollars called the ONET. And what the ONET does is for any job title, it will tell you what the requirements of that job are including what the educational requirements are. So, Matt, I imagine you use something like this to, to do that, looking at job titles, what do they require, that stuff? Uh, so what we actually do is we, um, we, we tweak that a little bit. We try to get a little bit more real time because we want to understand how is the market evolving. So we look at what employers are actually requiring. There's a whole bunch of jobs that used to, for example, be open to people uh, without a college degree that for all intents are not uh, open to uh, mm, okay. non-graduates okay. Uh, today. And so we've classified jobs as whether appropriate for college grads or not based on um, the requirements of those roles in today's job market. Okay. All right. So, yeah, that's a little different, but might be a more interesting set uh, of results here. So let's talk a little bit about what happens to people who are underemployed. I mean, a lot of listeners, particularly people who are not young, don't have a lot of sympathy for people who are young, and everybody feels we had to pay our dues at some point. So why does it matter so much if you're starting a job that you're overqualified for? A lot of people say, well, you know, what's the big problem there? What is the problem? Why does that well, matter? I, I think the real question is um, whether um, it affords uh, mobility to, to move on and, and do good stuff later on. Okay. Um, I think there's an attitude in many quarters that this will all work out. Yeah. Um, and what our research shows is that too often it doesn't. Yeah. Or at least for a very, very long term. I mean, 10 years out is pretty far, right? I, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no evidence that, you know, given the, the rates of, of people who um, are still underemployed between year year five and year ten. It, it doesn't seem likely that all of a sudden, after 
the 11th year on the job market, people suddenly get their break. Yeah. Uh, I think mm. some of this has to do with um, the scope of opportunity that's available to you once you're in um, a job category that um, is uh, that that doesn't really require degrees, right? So if you're if you wind up in a job um, where everyone you're working with um, is uh, is um, people who don't have a degree, and most of the job opportunities um, that are adjacent to the job you're in don't have degrees, there's not a lot of um, visibility into on uh, upward opportunity. Oh, That's yeah. a problem for okay. workers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's also um, a problem because um, once you're in a job that doesn't require a degree, employers don't know what to make of you. Mm. There's right? you're, sort there's, of a stigma. You don't, you don't have a degree, mm-hmm. uh, or you rather you have a degree, um, but you're currently working um, as a waiter in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I can't look at your work experience as being relevant. So right. I wind up looking at you as a waiter rather than as the college, the brilliant college grad that you are. Right. Um, and so I, as a result, as an employer, you wind up saying, okay, well, this person doesn't have the, the needed mm. qualifications. Mm-hmm. Um, that means that the only opportunities that people tend to have are going to be in jobs in their sector that are relatively proximate. Right. But if you're working in a restaurant, there really aren't good jobs to step into that um, that that are are likely to make good use of uh, your degree. Right. And uh, and there's some interesting reasons why that has happened because of changes in the companies. But before we talk about that, let me remind listeners we're talking to Matt Siegelman who is the CEO of Burning Glass Technologies, a company that looks at what's going on in the labor market by looking at job ads, what employers are posting, and the people who are filling those jobs. And their new report is called The Permanent Detour. You know, one of the reasons why I think that's happened is because uh, of this disaggregation of companies. So, for example, um, you could have been a cafeteria worker a generation ago in Goldman Sachs. Mm -hmm. And... You know, it is possible to move at least from the cafeteria to something else in administrative in a company like that uh, and then, you know, possibly work your way up. A hundred years ago, it really was possible, and lots of people actually did begin their career in the mail mailroom. Uh, CEOs uh, ended up in the – started out in the mailroom, and the reason that mattered is because you had access to everything in the mailroom and – maybe even some compromising material that might get you a better job uh, further up. Uh, But you did have connections and things. And now, as you say, I think not just in, you know, industries like uh, restaurants, working there as a barista, but uh, even if you're working in a corporation, you might be working in the corporation because you're a temp or you're a contract employee for a staffing company and you don't have access to the other jobs in the place you're working because you're not an employee there, right? So I think that cuts off those ladders of mobility, uh, and that's an issue too. Yeah. Another issue here at play is that so much of what um, makes people valuable for roles um, has to do increasingly with the level of skill that they bring with them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, you were asking before, Peter, about um, – you know what are what are the things that employers um, look for and which hold graduates back from getting a job on graduation? In a lot of cases, employers are um, asking for higher and higher levels of skill, often in very specific right. technical skill sets, right upon graduation, right. which right. you know increases the pressure 
on students in college to be acquiring skills like SAP, which is uh, a common enterprise resource planning system that no school teaches right. um, and probably shouldn't. Um, and um, what this means is once you step out, um, you are and, and wind up taking a job that doesn't need your degree, you're less likely to be on in that virtuous cycle where you're acquiring skills that are market relevant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that, that creates a barrier to onward progress. It also says that if you're going to wind up needing to be underemployed, it matters what kind of job you pick. Mm-hmm. Even there, oh, good point. Losers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Greg. So, uh, Matt, I wanted to ask you, does, in your research, does it show any difference uh, about falling into this trap, depending on what either what co- kind of college you went to, in particular, elite, middle range, um, bottom, mm-hmm. uh, or uh, your performance in college, uh, mm-hmm. dean's list, uh, mm-hmm. summa, um, scrape through. So, uh, if, you, if you're an Ivy League barista, does it help? If you're an Ivy League Phi Beta Kappa barista, <laughs> I saw it coming. <laughs> Uh, would that would that make a difference? Can can you tell that from your data? So um, we uh, we didn't look at those questions. We think they're very interesting and and hope to do some follow on research on on those. But we looked at two other factors, um, which also which do make a big difference. And one of those is your choice of major, and the other is your gender. Um, okay. And you know when it comes to major. Um, the choice of major is crucial, and um, the outcomes that you have, how likely you are to be underemployed, varies really wild, uh, widely. Um, so, and, and in fact, just to put that in perspective, uh, when you examine it by major, underemployment rates vary by 50 percentage points, five zero, mm-hmm. from 29 percent of uh, of engineering recent engineering grads being right. underemployed. Yep. To eighty percent in um, culinary arts. Culinary arts? No kidding. Really? Who'd have thunk? Who would have thunk? Uh, no, I seriously. Because... I thought you were going the the uh, history uh, route uh, or some type of yeah. uh, liberal well, that arts. That was the interesting thing huh. is that um, liberal arts weren't the worst offenders here. Huh. Isn't that um, interesting? You know, uh, in fact, there were some STEM majors that performed worse than some liberal yeah. arts majors. Yeah. Um, you know, philosophy majors, foreign language majors, English majors have comparable rates of underemployment mm. to the market at large, mm. while biology majors, although they're in a STEM field, worse. fare worse, yep. 51% of them being mm-hmm. underemployed. It's a big Think myth. about it, most biology mm-hmm. majors are going off to medical school. If you're not, there's mm. not a lot of jobs that yeah. require a, yeah. a BS in biology. Yeah. Um, but um, the biggest offenders here were um, those majors that students often choose in vocationalist fields, ironically, mm. to assure their career success. Yeah. Um, see, see my but, book on this called "Will College Pay Off?" Twenty nine ninety five, making exactly this point. That That's, question could pay off for you. Yeah. If only college cost twenty nine ninety five. So, yeah. So, right. But we were Thanks, right man. there. He was going to say the biggest offender was. Yep. Well, he just said it was the, these uh, vocational the kind of majors. Was, was culinary arts, but right. but even something like um, as as uh, vocationally practical sounding. As business yeah. mm-hmm. um, was uh, turns out to be uh, not such a great bet. I think yeah. mm-hmm. something like fifty three percent of business grads uh, wind up underemployed because if you step back and think about it for a second, right? You know, on the one hand, these students are choosing a business major precisely because it sounds like, hey, that's going to lead me to a job. Right. But what job do you get mm-hmm. as a business graduate? Well, there's mm-hmm. no job called business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of those kinds of majors, like business, like communications. 
uh, and, a, and a host of others um, sound like they're good choices, um, mm-hmm. but often wind up being a few skills short of a full deck. Mm-hmm. So let me just say first that uh, Matt's comments are not endorsed by the Wharton School of Business. It's um, especially for graduate especially programming. Especially for graduate programs. But uh, I, I, it sounds exactly, it r- sounds very smart because it's, Don't you think it's time exactly, to cut him off now? <laughs> exactly. It's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. But let's go back to culinary arts for a second, which really does surprise me because I would have thought that for culinary arts, you were at the very least getting a job in culinary arts, but is the problem that uh, those graduates from those schools are trained up to manage restaurants or something? Is that the idea? And they end up as line cooks or something? Is that the story? That's right. I mean, you know, the problem we're looking at here is not whether or not you get a job. As you said, the the rate of unemployment for for recent college grads is is still pretty low at at a little over 5%. We're looking at the much broader phenomenon of people who have taken on a lot of debt gotten a degree, and wind up working as a line chef. Right. So let me ask you about the gender differences. What do those look like? I'm going to bet it's not good to be a woman. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm, well, trying, I'm trying to get my score up. Yeah, your score up. And by, you, you, you just scored. By, um, by the way, Matt, thank you for telling Greg he had a good point a while ago, because we're, we're um, worried about his self-esteem. They want me to show up for the second yeah. quarter. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's, uh, you know, what we found was was frankly disturbing. Um, You know, we we found that women are considerably more likely to be underemployed than their Mm -hmm. male classmates. Mm -hmm. Um, Nearly half of women, uh, 47%, are underemployed compared to a little over a third of men, Mm -hmm. 37%. So it's like a 50% Um, increase over men. Yeah. That's right. And and what's, um, you know, when I first saw that in our results, I said, well, you know, this must be because, um, you know, men are more likely to major in, in so-called STEM field, science, technology, engineering, and math, yep. um, than, uh, uh, than are women. Um, but we actually found that these gender disparities um, held true regardless of major. Mm-hmm. So for example, among mathematics majors, um, 30% of women are underemployed mm-hmm. compared to 25% yeah. of men. So some of it is choice of major, but even within major, you're seeing this difference, yeah? Exactly. Yeah. And, and when you sort of what what's most interesting here is that this is a disparity that um, starts right out the gate. Yeah. Much mm-hmm. of the discussion that we like to have about the glass ceiling, the pay gap, um, other problems facing women in the workplace is focused on later parts mm-hmm. of uh, of people's careers, but based on our data, something's happening to women college gate graduates right out the gate. Right. Um, right. And it's not 100% clear what it is, mm-hmm. but it's, mm-hmm. it needs to be explored because it could account for a sizable portion of what's at play in the gender mm-hmm. gap. I mean, uh, interestingly enough, uh, a colleague and I have written a paper um, on exactly this question, and I'd forgotten about it until we were talking about it just now. Uh, and that is we looked at data from college graduates in 1983 and then followed them uh, – 1993, sorry – and followed them over time for 10 years. And women do start out in jobs that uh, require less skill than men did even then, right? And the gap does persist. So I'd forgotten all about that, Matt. So thanks for reminding me about that. Now, here, let's get practical. We just got a couple of minutes left here. A lot of parents probably are listening to this and say, okay, what do we do about this, Matt? And there's a tougher question. What do we do? Because it's not that everybody can become an engineer, right? Because exactly. there's not that many engineering jobs. And even though some of my colleagues don't get this, the fact that you produce a new engineer doesn't create a new engineering job, right? <laughs> it's well supply played. side. Um, yeah, right. 
You know, actually, what we found more encouragingly from from uh, some other research that we've done is that um, there are opportunities in in any major to acquire skills um, that get you paid better. Um, and so, so much of this comes down to um, having a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we generally um, send our kids off to school and uh, you know, sort of give them advice, which dates back to when we were in school, which is hey, don't sweat the job too much. Um, it's all going to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and unfortunately, what our data show is that if uh, you don't have a good plan um, in terms of what you're majoring in, in terms of how you um, build skills on top of your major, regardless of what that major may be, um, you're much less likely to, uh, to actually achieve the kind of success, yeah. both initially and, and on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, the question is, what's that plan going to be? Uh, that is a very tough question. I'm not expecting you to have a simple answer to that because uh, part of the problem here would be solved, of course, if there were jobs that actually required all the skills that these graduates have. Uh, maybe part of it is a mismatch. People are graduating with lots of skills that people don't need so much in the labor market. But as you say, the simple answer is not go get more vocational skills because that per se doesn't do it either, right? Well, I'll um, I'll counter that a little bit. Um, you know, here's what we're seeing. Um, you know, often the distance between a good job and um, a, a less favorable outcome, um, the distance between making good money when you graduate and not, is in fact actually a couple of skills. And it's not that employers don't want or need the skills that are the bedrocks of a liberal arts degree. Um, what we see, uh, quite the contrary, in fact, employers are um, are vociferous about um, their need for things like good writing skills, um, critical thinking skills, creativity skills. And the more tech-enabled the job is, the more data-enabled the job is, the more it asks for uh, human skills, um, which is yeah. counter to what you might think. So all that says that students coming out of um, liberal arts programs, humanities programs, social science programs should be um, phenomenally in demand. And the reason why they're not is often that employers are also asking not only for those core human skills, they're also asking for some technical skills. And just to put um, a quick example behind that, okay. um, if you're a psych major, um, there's often a perception that psych majors are, uh, a, you know, it's, it's a pre-professional degree. You're going to mm-hmm. go on to become a psychologist. Um, but the significant majority of, of psych majors never go on to do an advanced degree. Um, on average, I think five years out, if, if a memory serves me, you're making about $42,000 a year. Mm. Now, they often get this um, advice, hey, you know, you can understand consumer psychology. Go, be, you know, get, a, uh, go, go get a marketing minor or something like that. Uh, well, guess what? You're making 39000 so less. Oh. Um, mm. But by contrast, a psych major who has done some statistical research, some survey research around their subjects, and picked up SPSS or SAS or R, some common statistical packages, mm-hmm. is making mid-60s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? That's not don't be a psych major. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's make sure you took the statistical research course. But unfortunately, we don't send out that memo. Yep, right. Yep, that's true. And, uh, you know, it does get tricky, of course, because if everybody does that, uh, then pretty soon the value of the R skill <laughs> you know, doesn't go down. But in the meantime, you want to be one of those who does have the skill when people need it. And that's the good advice for parents. Matt, thanks very much for being with us. Matt Siegelman. Thanks, Greg.
For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.